But we'll be in uh, Genesis chapter 41, looking at a message this evening. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Genesis 41, when you find your place, will you stand with me out of respect for the reading of the word of God? Genesis 41, we'll be looking to start the message. We'll be looking at verses 37 through 43. The Bible says, "And And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. Which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you are a blessing to your word. Lord, may your word this, this evening be something that helps us to be encouraged, help us to be edified, help us, helps us, Lord, to see you. And I pray, Lord, you will help us to be uh, people who, Lord, when we see your word, when we hear your word, Lord, that we obey it. And Lord, I pray that you will bless and, and, and move in a mighty way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, this evening is a time of preaching, but it's also going to be really also a time of Bible study. And so this is our Wednesday evening Bible study. And this evening, we're going to look at Joseph. And what we're going to do in this message, we're going to compare him to Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus, look at Joseph, Joseph is a type of Christ. In other words, he's a picture of Christ, a type of when you think about yeah, that, that word, you know, a type, a type of Christ, what does that mean? A type is a symbol of something future or distant, at least at that time, or an example prepared and evidently designed by God to, free, to prefigure that future thing. Okay? And so Joseph, he is a type of Christ. We see Christ in his life. And really, I don't think there is a better type of Christ that we see in the Old Testament, someone who, who prefigures Christ more than Joseph. Um, but when we look at Joseph, Joseph is someone that throughout his story, you just think, can't he just get what he deserves, right? And, and that's kind of that's kind of the way we are at times, right? When we don't think that we get what we're getting what we deserve, like, I need to get what I deserve. I deserve this. Or you see someone else get something that you think you deserve. <sighs> but really, everyone always wants, at least when it's good, right, what they deserve. Now, when it's bad, that's another story, but that's not tonight's message, amen? But when it's a good deserving, we all want that. And listen, when we read through the story of Joseph, 
We think, man, he's such a good guy. He, he doesn't deserve to be sold into slavery. He doesn't deserve to be cast into prison. He doesn't deserve to be forgotten. He just, you, just, you go through and just can't wait for the time when you read that he actually gets what he deserves, right? But listen, there's coming a day when not, just, not Joseph is going to get what he deserves, but God is going to get what he deserves because there's coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God also highly hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen, at this point, there are people, obviously, that have not bowed the knee. That doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is any less king of kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ is more powerful than any principality, and he is preeminent over any president or prime minister that has ever existed or ever will exist. He is our omnipotent, omniscient, and om- omnipresent God. Okay? Listen, that, who he is, is not determined by who or how many people bow the knee. That is a simple fact. He is who he is, and that will not change. Now, what we see in the life of Joseph is a beautiful picture of the day that every man, woman, and child, and it doesn't matter where they are from, it doesn't matter where, what they do, what, they, what language they speak, or what even political beliefs they hold. It's a picture of that time when everyone will bow the knee. And again, there is not a better picture, I think, in the entire Old Testament as a type of Christ. Now, tonight, we're going to look through the life of Joseph. So we won't just stay in in chapter 41. We'll go back and we'll work our way actually through the life of Joseph. We'll go try to go quickly. I don't want to keep you here at least all night, but maybe 10 o'clock. I'm just kidding, Maverick. You don't have to to freak out. We're going to look at, at three main areas, because obviously we're Baptist, um, in which Joseph's life really just truly pictures Christ. And so first, the first thing we're going to look at tonight is Joseph as the revered son. Joseph as the revered son. Genesis 37, and we'll spend a little bit of time in this chapter if you want to take your Bibles there. It says, now, verse number three, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, one of the things I know that I learned before I had children is that you're not supposed to have favorites. Now, for me, I have four favorites. I tell Charlie, he's my favorite Charlie. Kobe, he's my favorite Kobe. Chloe, she's my favorite Chloe. And then C4 that's coming in October is my favorite C4, right? I have four favorites, Here we see Joseph was the favorite, and not out of four, out of 12, okay? Joseph was his favorite because he was the son of his father's favorite wife. He was given 
favor and honor by his father. He was the favorite. He was the beloved son. Or as David Weirich would say it, the beloved son. Okay? Now, as Christians, we are all children of God. But here's the thing. We are all children of God as Christians, but Jesus is the beloved son. He is the revered son. Jesus is the favored son. He is the honored son. You think about his baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my what? Beloved son, in whom I am well at his transfiguration, Mark chapter 9, verse number 7. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. See, we are all the children of God or sons of God with, at the moment we put our faith in him. But Jesus has been the son of God from eternity past. Jesus is the revered son of God. Now, when we think about Joseph's position as the revered son, we can actually look a little bit closer. And we see with Joseph, he had a walk that was, comp- that was really, as far as what we see, he was undefiled. He had a walk that was undefiled. You look at what's written about him, Genesis 37.2, and these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, this doesn't mean that he's going and being a tattletale. What it means is he's, he's bearing the truth. He's bearing the truth. Israel, Joseph's father, he would ask for an honest report concerning the actions of his brothers. And Joseph, no matter what, would give his father an honest report. Do you actually think that was the easy thing to do? You ever have a time where you're with your your siblings or your friends and they do something that's not right? The, the, The peer pressure, the pressure is to do what? Say nothing. The pressure is to just be like, oh, no one has to know about this. Joseph did what was right. Joseph did not care about, Joseph cared about doing what was right, not about what was easy. The morality of his life could not condone condone the immorality of his brother's lives. Now, the interesting fact with Joseph is it just, it's not that he did not sin, but the Bible does not record a single sin of Joseph. We find absolutely no record of sin in his life in the Bible. And so he is, everything that he does that's recorded is a righteous act. Now, side note, very quick side note, I won't belabor it too much, but I kind of just find it comforting that when we get to heaven, that there will be no record of our sins. Amen. So in 10 million years, God's not going to come up to me and be like, hey, do you remember what you did on August 2nd, 2023? That was dumb. I, I won't have to worry about that. And so, when, listen, our sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west, and they are forgotten, and God see of forgiveness. We can praise the Lord for that. But the Bible records Joseph as if he were sinless. In this, because of that, that's another way that Joseph is a type of Christ. 
because Joseph was recorded as if he was sinless. When we think about this, Joseph was simply recorded as if he was sinless. Jesus, what was recorded of him was recorded because he was sinless. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. 1 Peter 2.22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb of God without blemish and what? Without spot. Listen, again, it's not a matter of sins not being disclosed for God. It's a matter that Christ was simply totally without sin. I found this from another preacher, but I could not leave it out. I had to, I had to put it in here. It says, and he says, he writes this about Christ. He was unblemished in his character, untainted in his conduct, and un, in, unimpeachable in his consistency. His beauty and purity are without defect. His sincerity and sympathy are without blemish. His name and nature are without taint. His loveliness and lowliness are without tarnish. His kingliness and kindliness are without fault. His vesture and, and virtue are without stain. His ministry and mercy are without blame. His disposition and dis disportment are without detriment, and his life and labors are without spot. He is the only person who ever walked upon this earth that was perfectly, completely, and totally without sin. Amen. Amen. That's a pretty good description of Christ, I would have to say. But listen, Joseph and Christ both had a walk that was undefiled, but we also want to see, when we look at the story of Joseph, he had a wardrobe that was unique. Genesis 37, 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was his son of, son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now the, uh, with this coat, this was not an ordinary coat. Okay, not in its, obviously it's colors, but not, also not in its form. A normal coat would have, you would have a length going down about to the waist, this coat, with the, with the word that's used for it, was a coat that would go all the way to the ankles. This was a coat that was for someone who would not be working, doing manual labor. And so when, when, when Israel gives this coat to Joseph, he's giving him a position of importance. And a position of importance, listen, above his brethren, which has to go so well over with his brethren, right? Of course, we know the story. But it was not the robe of a common person. Again, that would be shorter, maybe, you know, maybe even just to the knee if that, at all, but also been sleeveless. Uh, the robe worn by the common man would have been suitable for labor. Colossians 1.18, we think about Christ, says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And what does it say at the, at the end here? That in all things he might have what? The preeminence. The word preeminence speaks to one who is first in rank. The highest authority. The Lord Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the son who precedes all others in priority and exceeds all others in superiority. He is preeminent. And so we look at Joseph because the coat, his father put him in a position of preeminence. And because of who he is and because of what Christ done, God put Christ in a position of preeminence. And so we see that 
Both Joseph and Jesus are the revered sons. They both had walks that were undefiled. They both had wardrobes that were unique. So we see that he is the revered son. Number two, we both see that they are rejected servants. Rejected servants. Genesis 37, 12 through 14. And his brethren went to feed their flock, father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said, Here am I. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now we study the, the, the names in the Bible, and some names have meaning, some names don't. And so it's not something that you need to constantly think about, all right, what does this name mean? What does this name mean? What does this name mean? But sometimes it can be beneficial. And the word Hebron, the name Hebron, means fellowship or friendship. And so when you think about it, Joseph left the fellowship of his father to go into the wilderness of Shechem to find his brothers who were distant and away from their father. We think about this, and we compare that, and we look at Christ then. There was a glorious day when the Lord Jesus Christ left the glory he had with the Father and came to this earthly wilderness in search of those who were, all, who were away from the Father. Philippians 2.7, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Now, the question then is, why did Jesus leave all the glories of heaven to come down to earth? Because if we're honest, once we get to heaven, there's no possible way we would want to come down. And I think we'll only truly understand that when we actually see heaven. And then once we see that, I think it will just... Uh, absolutely astonish us at what Jesus left when he came here. Just an amazing thing. You think about why. Let's go ahead and look. When we look at Joseph, we see a time where he was searching for his brethren. Genesis 37, 15 through 17. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And so Joseph, just wandering in the field, he can't find his brothers. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. Now, I've always respected this about Joseph, is that his father told them where his brothers were supposed to be. And when he got there, they weren't there. Now, if... You, you know, most people, let's be honest, and even us, if we're tired, we get to Shechem. They're not there. What are we doing? We're just going home and saying, yeah, they weren't there. Those hooligans, right? They're not where they're, they're, not where they're supposed to be. And you think, he did what he's supposed to do. His dad told him to go to Shechem, look for his brothers. He went to Shechem, looked for his brothers, go home, and just says they weren't there. But that's not what Joseph does. He continues, and he looks, and he finds them. Listen, it would have been easy to turn around and go home, 
But he knew that his father sent him to find them, and Joseph was not going to rest until the job was accomplished. I praise the Lord for a Savior who's that way, right? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Before we are saved, when we are still sinners, in living in our sin, listen, we are nowhere near where we are supposed to be. But Jesus came and found us, didn't he? We can praise the Lord for that. When we see and look at how and why Joseph was supposed to seek, it's not going to be on the screens, but you look in verse 14, it says that Jacob said, see if it be well with your brethren. This was a mission. Their father wanted to make sure they were okay. Joseph is going on a mission of love and saying, hey, dad just wants to make sure you're okay. Are you okay? Listen, Jesus came to declare unto us, his father, his father's concern, and to display unto us his father's care, and to demonstrate unto us his father's love. So there's so much that parallels with the life of Joseph and also with the life of Jesus. We see these searching, but listen, when he found them, that's when everything good goes away. We then see the selling of Joseph, Genesis thirty-seven eighteen. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Joseph's coming with a message of love and goes through the trouble of finding them. And how do they repay him? Verse 23 of Genesis 37, and it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So let's be honest. Ow. Ow, that hurts. There's a reason why they... God allowed the, you know, Moses to write that there was no water in it because, listen, if I get thrown in a well, I want water at the bottom. There was no water at the bottom. Listen, Joseph here suffered because of the acts of his brothers. He was rejected by his brothers. And when we look at Christ, listen, John 11:1 1 says, He came unto his own and what? His own received him not. Jesus came into the world as an expression of his father's love. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, but instead he was despised and rejected. Of course, this did not catch God off guard, right? God knew. In fact, he prophesied in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus Christ is the rejected servant. The world rejected him. The world hated him and the world, listen, the world killed him. But he did not stay dead, right? Listen, you look at Joseph, and this is, this is just extra. Joseph doing everything he could, being in Potiphar's house and doing everything he could, and then he gets thrown in jail. 
but he didn't stay in jail. He came back out. But this is what we see. Number three, so number one, we see the, the, the revered son. Number two, the rejected servant. Number three, we see the reigning sovereign. The reigning sovereign. Before we go forward, let's go all the way back. The beginning of the story of Joseph, what we remember is Joseph has some dreams, right? And in these dreams, verse number five of Genesis 37, it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Yep, they took that well. Genesis 37, 9 through 10, we see the second dream, and this has to do with the heavens. It says, And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me, and he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy, and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee? To the earth? That's pretty confusing. Listen, to be honest, if Charlie comes up to me later and says, listen, I had a dream that you're going to bow down to me, I would probably rebuke him. I would probably have the exact same reaction. But these dreams of Joseph, they were prophetic. They were, they were, they were a prophecy, listen, that really one day he was going to be a ruler. You think about the sheaves. The sheaves really represent that he was going to be over the earth. He was going to be a ruler over the things of the earth. He's going to be a ruler of the resources of the land. And the dream of the stars indicated that all the rulers of the land would be under his authority. They were prophetic dreams. But it wasn't clear how that was going to happen. So let's go ahead and look at how it happened. First, and this doesn't seem like the way someone gets to power, but he was wrong, wrongfully placed in prison. That's familiar how he got there. He got sold into slavery to the Midianites. Once he gets to Egypt, Potiphar buys him. And now he quickly, and I believe truly quickly, he rises up in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's able to trust everything that he has to Joseph. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to think about anything except the fact that he has bread to eat on his table. Joseph just takes care of everything. And Joseph is working, and he's working, and he's working. And then he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife wants... Something that she should not. And Joseph says no. And he runs, but then Joseph's, then Potiphar's wife accuses him of something that did not happen. And so because of that, listen, Joseph gets put in jail. Now, here's the mercy that's seen. In Egypt at that time, for the sin, for the crime that Joseph is being accused of, the actual penalty was death. And so you see how much Potiphar actually believed his wife. He could not do nothing, but you can, I, I don't think he actually believed his wife. I think, he, I think he understood the character of Joseph. And I think he believed Joseph more than his wife. But he could, listen, the reason he cast him in prison, he, he couldn't do nothing. He had a reputation and he had, to, he had to uphold his wife as far as the culture is concerned. But then he's in the prison, there's two people come in, and they get put in there, and they have dreams. You have the baker and the butler, the cupbearer. 
The cupbearer gets restored. The baker gets its head chopped off. But then the cupbearer forgets Joseph. But that's where, that's where then Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh can't interpret the dream. And no one, in, no one there can understand what that dream is. And so finally, it comes back to him. And the cupbearer's like, no, I know someone. I know someone. His name's Joseph. He's in the prison right now. Go get, go, go get him. Bring him to Pharaoh. And so he comes, and spoiler alert, Joseph interprets the dream. And after he interprets the dream, Pharaoh looks at him, and he's like, we need someone, someone that's wise, someone who's intelligent, who can help us navigate these next 14 years, seven, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. I wonder who it could be. Another spoiler, it was going to be Joseph. We see in verse 38 of chapter 41, and it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man who, in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And the, and the Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Listen, Pharaoh, Joseph was lifted up to the highest post in the land. We see in the passage that Pharaoh places a ring on his hand and they arrayed him in royal garments and they put him a gold chain around his neck and they placed him on the second chariot. And, and everywhere that Joseph went after that, the people said, Bow the knee, bow the knee, bow the knee. And everyone, listen, everyone bowed the knee. Everyone bowed the knee. Listen, the first time that Jesus came, you see, Joseph was condemned and put in prison, even though he shouldn't. But the first time he came, Jesus was condemned wrongfully. Matthew 26, 59, and I'm going back a little bit for the sound room, but it says, Now the chief priests and elders and the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. The first time Jesus came, he was he was rejected, and he was condemned unlawfully. When we see the next time, listen, the next time he comes, listen, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. He's not coming this next time to suffer. He's coming as the sovereign king, and he will rule. He will rule, and he will reign. I find it interesting, the name given to Joseph is uh, very long, and it starts with a Z, Zephanapania, however you pronounce that. No one knows, and so it doesn't matter how I pronounce it. But that name means Savior of the world. I think it's a pretty obvious picture of Christ, correct? As Christ is the Savior of the world. And we see Joseph as he's going around every knee bowing. And one day, every knee 
in America, every knee in Europe, every knee in Africa, every knee in Asia, every knee, every queen, every potentate, every monarch, every prime minister, every president, every dictator, every scoffer, every skeptic, every atheist, every agnostic, every liberal, every conservative will bow the knee. And even greater, every demon in hell will bow the knee. There will also be that great moment itself where Satan will bow his knee and confess with his tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee. Every knee will bow. And it's so amazing, again, to look at the life of a person and to see these parallels between a person and Christ. To see what, listen, God, in a lot of ways, has orchestrated. As God is sovereign, and God, listen, God did that. But God, listen, God used a willing servant. We wouldn't be reading about Joseph in this book. We'd probably read about someone else if Joseph wasn't a willing and obedient servant. So many of the reasons why we see so many of these parallels between Joseph and God was, listen, because Joseph followed God. And when you follow God and you're obedient to God and and you live for God, you will be like God. And so if we as Christians who are living in the New Testament era, looking at Joseph as a type of Christ, can take anything from him, listen, is that we too can be obedient and our life can then picture Christ for those who are around us. Because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Joseph's life pictures Christ so beautifully. It's not because of who he is that happened. He simply surrendered. He surrendered. And you know that because no person can go through being sold in Egypt, into Egypt, as a, being a slave, then being cast into prison, being forgotten. No person can go through that without being surrendered to what God has for them. And you might have trial, you might have tribulation, you might have just just been being truly blessed right now and have, have a ton of, of things and, and all these things. Listen, you look at Joseph, no matter if he had nothing or if he was the ruler of Egypt, he was faithful. And even as the ruler of Egypt, giving the command, what? When you guys get taken away, carry my bones with you. No matter what he had, no matter what state he was, he before Paul knew whatever state he was in to be content. And it's because he followed the Lord. I'm going to leave you with this. You can be a picture of Christ to the world if you simply follow the Lord.